Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Well, tonight on Piers Morgan Uncensored, so the UK's plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda is ruled unlawful by the Supreme Court unanimously. PM Rishi Sunak says he still hasn't given up. Is it time, though, to forget this fiasco and take the migrant crisis seriously? We'll debate. Israeli forces enter the biggest hospital in Gaza, claiming it's a terrorist command centre. Hamas calls that a war crime. I'll talk live to Mark Regev. Labour faces a wave of resignations over its leaders' refusal to call for a ceasefire in Gaza as tempers flare over anti-Semitism, a pro-Palestine protest, and that Jeremy Corbyn interview. I'm joined with his uncensored debut by left-wing firebrand, his words, not mine, Owen Jones. Live from the news building in London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Good evening from London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. The government's plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda was the headline-grabbing centrepiece of its plan to fix Britain's migrant crisis. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has made stopping the small boats, crossing the Channel, one of his five pledges to the British people, the test by which he wants to be measured at the next election. Well, Saxuela Braverman even said it was her dream to see migrants deported to Rwanda. Now, like the Monty Python parrot sketch, the government says that dream is just resting. Well, bad news. This parrot is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to meet its maker. This is a late parrot. It's a stiff, bereft of life. It rests in peace. Couldn't it put it better myself, Cleasy? The Rwanda plan is as dead as Suella Braverman's career as Home Secretary, and it's time for the government to move on. The bottom line with this is it was never going to work. I said that at the time, I've said it throughout, and I'm saying it again when the Supreme Court has also basically agreed. Tens of thousands of people are crossing the Channel illegally every year. When they get here, they enter a broken and chaotic system beset by chronic, unforgivably large backlogs. Sending a tiny handful of people to Rwanda at vast public expense was never either practical or a humane solution. Now the Supreme Court has reiterated that it's illegal, genuine asylum seekers would face the serious risk of ending up back in the country they escaped from. So far, the government has given £140 million of our money to Rwanda in exchange for precisely nothing. So it's all an embarrassing fiasco for Rishi Sunak, his government and the country... And the only person benefiting from all that is Sakir Starmer. His Rwanda scheme, cooked up with his national security threat home secretary, has blown up. He was told over and over again that this would happen, that it wouldn't work, 
and it was just the latest Tory gimmick. Yeah. But he bet everything on it, yeah. and now he's totally exposed. Yeah. The central pillar of his government has crumbled beneath him. Yeah. Does he want... Well, plenty of people are lining up to argue that this is some kind of affront to democracy. Newspaper columnist, I think that's what he is now, Boris Johnson, called it a legal blockade on Rwanda, which is obviously absurd. Now some Conservatives are clamouring for the UK to exit the European Convention on Human Rights or just ignore the Supreme Court altogether. Yes, Lee Anderson, who's at the moment the Deputy Chairman of the Conservative Party, the Party of Law and Order, called on the Prime Minister to brazenly break the law and put planes in the air now. That's exactly the kind of careless, brainless and heartless thinking that got us into this mess. But you can see more of that on GB News when Mr Anderson has a show. Uh, the UK does have a migrant crisis. The numbers speak for themselves. Rwanda, though, is always a distraction, not a solution. Now it's time for the government to put its time and money into finding an actual solution that works. Well, with me in the studio is Talk TV's international editor, Isabel Oakshaw, associate editor of the Mirror, Kevin Maguire, and Talk TV contributor, Esther Cracker. Welcome to all of you. All right, Isabel. It's dead as, dead as a doornail. It's, it's pushing up the daisies. It's an ex-parrot, this deal. It is a complete ex-parrot. It should never have been a parrot in the first place. Mm. I mean, gimmicks would work if it's a symbolic thing that you can actually make happen, but it was blindingly obvious from the start that there were never going to be a lot of deportations to Rwanda. You didn't need to go through this agonising and incredibly expensive and time-wasting mm. process to tell us that. And, you know, hats off to Rishi Sunak for attempting to make it look like he had a plan, you know, that he was seizing the initiative, that he was not to be deterred by this Supreme Court because big wows were going to come up with some emergency legislation, which will then itself be challenged again and again. Well, they haven't got time. I mean, Esther, here's so, the point. There's a ticking clock, right? right? He's only got a year till he has to call an election. They're never going to get what they need to do to even get this back no on chance. the table in time. So this is dead. For, the, for this government anyway. Um, what do you make of this? I mean, the problem is, at the, at the root of this is a real problem. Well, of course. You know, the small boats issue is not something that is a small problem. Well, it's something that enrages the British public, that tens of thousands of people come in here illegally, mm -hmm. brought here by you know, unscrupulous, greedy smugglers who don't care if the people they bring over live or die. It's a humanitarian crisis in that regard. It's a ridiculous farce that our country's border is so transparently porous, porous they yeah. keep wanting to pour in. Um, and at the root of it is a system that just doesn't work. 30,000 people on the asylum backlog. Why can't we just do the basics? It's way more like, like, like just, just Is it? Turn, turn, turn them it's away. It's 130,000 yeah. plus. 130,000, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, that's 130,000 people on the, on the waiting list, right? I mean, this is ridiculous for a country like ours. Well, of course, but yeah. the, the, the question is, what exactly is the government supposed to do about that? You can't turn them back. You I know? think you actually they, can. Well, look, but them this, they're can. not doing it. That's the point. Yeah. And this, well, is the, this is the issue here. This is an existential crisis for the Conservative Party because it goes against every principle. It goes against law and order. It goes against fairness and meritocracy. At the end of the day, the amount of money we spend on these boat crossings is more than the budget for homelessness in the UK. It's incredible the thing, that... You two are both conservatives, yeah. right? Yeah. Identify as conservatives. <laughs> And yet you're both instinctively very hostile about this, which is well, because the, the, the answer really is simple. The answer is simple. Turn them away. Refuse, refuse their assignment. These, okay, I'm going I to mean, make... I mean, hostile to the Rwanda idea. 
to the situation because at the end of the day, these people are not genuine asylum seekers. They're mostly well, some, some able-bodied men, economic the, migrants. Well, the, the, majority, and, and the, the, majority. People, the people our asylum system should be prioritizing women and children who are at higher risk of sexual uh, abuse and violence, sex, sex, sexual-based violence, are at the bottom of the list right, because Kevin, of right, these right, people. Right, the, the number of people, not the, asylum seekers. The number of people crossing in boats is 30,000 this year. Last year, it was 45,000. Mm -hmm. So it's coming down. That's partly because the government's spending half a billion pounds with the French to stop the mm -hmm. sailings. But the government's own figures, the government's own figures, the government's own, the government's own figures showed that Rwanda was going to cost £169,000 per head, mm. which is £63,000 more than allowing people to stay here. And that's before which you allow them, you to allow them to and, work. And if you allow them to but work... But Isabel's right, though. The, the, the reason for the falling number is mainly young male economic migrants coming. from Albania. Yeah, but they're not coming. Well, we've done a deal with the Albanian government and they're, they're not but coming. But Piers, yes, but there is the answer. You do the deals with the government. You stop the sailors. Now, when people no, do... Should, when do people, people get... Right in a way, yeah. if that's, that's worked, so, if that yeah. has worked so effectively, my question for Rishi Sunak is, well, go and do more deals like that. Exactly. Right? And if the French are being obstinate exactly. as they are... They, they don't want this and, problem on their hands, yeah. right? Then you've got to try and do a deal that they will accept. And the majority of the... Well, we've, already, the, the, we've the, already sent them tens of millions. The, like, yeah. I mean, the majority, enormous amounts of money which have the, achieved the absolute... The majority of people who do get here on boats are granted... The right to stay because they, they have a legal right. No, because they, they have a legal be. right. No, they don't. They the don't. government Listen, is trying to use the channel as a moat. If you had safe and legal routes, do you know part of these migrants? Do you know part of these migrants are Indian students coming so from what, yeah. Serbia because yep. Serbia has a visa-free waiver with Indians? They are not genuine asylum seekers. No, let's contextualise it. Since 2018, the population of Solihull have crossed the channel. Yeah, it's all right. That is a sign. We can all agree it's wrong, and clearly, a 15,000 and fewer people are coming because of the Albanian yep. economic migrants coming over, then that clearly is a problem as well. But there will definitely be some legitimate asylum seekers tiny, and refugees, who, by number. the way, have come from countries that we bombed. Yeah. Right, so we have, a, we have a moral duty to take number. care of them. Well, we went there, all, they went fun. there, they come here. It's a backhanded compliment. Uh, they want to come here, start a new life, Absolutely. work and pay you know, their you know, way. You know who we have a moral duty to the women and children that they're leaving behind? Yeah. If they're in such a desperate uh, situation. Well, look, well, all right, can all all right. We can all agree it's an absolute horror story, right? I'm not against it on principle, by the way, because I think that if we were actually able to do it, it would stop the flow of migrants. Mm. I'm against it because it was flawed from the start because yep. we were never going to get How to How would you fix it? We would never get it if to I've happen If I made you home secretary tomorrow, which, by the way... I would be it might happen. <laughs> We've had six in six years, so let's assume your number seven. I would be working would with the Ministry of Defence to turn back the boats. Whatever exactly. the legal niceties, I would be turning back the boats. It's been done in other countries. Actually, Belgium is doing it. And once you start turning them Kevin, back, you they will stop right, coming. Right, because... I remember Priti Patel said this, and the she Royal, Na it, the Royal <laughs> Navy exactly. was... was and the Royal Navy was de uh, deployed. No. But Royal Navy sailors are not going to try and use their boat to push back a dinghy. No one will capsize it and people Hold will on. die. The Australians, yeah. Australians have done this. And we've actually they deployed them. The Australians have done this and we've consulted yeah, them. The Why can't we just do the, it? The Australians, those boats are huge boats. That, so that you doesn't can, make a difference. It's still a boat. It's called water. Tow them now, back. Look, if you try to do the Australian system here... It would be ruled quite rightly unlawful. Now because the Rwanda deal, it was it was, this is it a was country, cruel. In a country it was cruel. Goodness. It was unworkable. Why was it was it expensive. It's what, immoral. The Australian thing, it worked brilliantly. There are do, no more boats do, coming over. Do you over. know what happens in those camps that they send them? The they, level, the levels of suicide and ill health. 
Well, they don't. Is that, is that where really, is what, that's, that's really what you want? That's on the people's Is that really what you want? That, that, that's is it? The, excuse Where's me, your humanity? The, the, the suicides are on the where people. Where is it? Are the people heartlessly smuggling no, these individuals and taking money from them, mm. not the governments for oh. defending their borders. I'm look, sorry. Look, that's I what a country means. A country has borders. By not having safe and legal routes there are for people safe. to apply the you are, you are a business manager for the people smugglers. What you are nonsense. sending people to people smugglers. How? By turning them away? The majority of people, once they cross in those boats, are given a legal right to that stay here. That doesn't mean they should be. Exactly. It means actually, our system is broken. Kevin, if you've actually looked at the criteria by which their cases of judged, they are ludicrous. I think we could do ourselves a massive favour if we just... Have a special show if we just on this, started by processing the yep. people faster. I mean, the first thing I would do if I was James Cleverly is massively increase the number of people processing these applications. They, so at the very least, you get that number they, right down. They should they, be turned around within they, a week. Yeah, exactly. They, what's, what's the point of processing allow, them for just are, letting more people they in? They allowed the backlog to go over 170,000. They are now putting more resources in it. It's come down to 130,000. But all this money we're spending yeah. at the moment on Rwanda, 150 million, put that into well, a, that more have, processing. Yeah, yes. unfortunately, it appears we've but paid do, it. Do you, do you but not, no, I know. They're not going to give it But we're going to keep spending money on this folly, right? Well, exactly, yeah. but which is madness. But do you know yep. the difference between the EU acceptance rates for asylum seekers in the UK? 37% versus 77%. There's a reason why when in the safe country of France, they choose to risk yeah. coming here. Right, let, me ask you this. let me ask you this, Isabel. Isabel, how Langley. damaging... I mean, it's been a fascinating week for Richie Sunak. He, he has to sack his Home Secretary, which I think was the right thing to do. I think she defied his authority, and you can't have that as Prime Minister, and she did it brazenly. Uh, then he woke up this morning to quite good news, Right, that he'd hit one of his five pledges. Inflation has halved. Brilliant. It's come down. Yeah. Like, well, it's come things down are a, still going up. Let's I know. Just remember the I know, cost of things. But it's come up. down. It's going up everywhere. But yeah. it's come down a lot faster than was predicted. That's a tick in his pledge box. And yet he couldn't even celebrate that before this happened. So it's a. It's been a turbulent week for him. I think it's catastrophic, actually. I think this is absolutely, as Esther said, this is existential. You know, I got the email, Dear Isabel, have you checked out our promises from the Chancellor saying, you know, great news, inflation is halved. Yeah, I've checked out your promises. One of the main ones was that you were going to stop the boats and you have abjectly failed to do that. Well, they are, got well hang no on. Plan. I interviewed Rishi Sunak. He didn't say completely stop. He said he would stop this. Yeah, she had stopped the boats yes, on his podium. That was, that was the slogan, but they have stopped a lot of the boats. I mean, yeah, that's enough. If you looked at the TNCs, it was he was going to pass legislation to it's stop not it. Fly but he, ga with but he, ga he exactly. gave the impression he was stop going to stop the stop. boats. There's no government. If Labour, Labour come in, they will not completely stop the boats because even if you allow the people who are entitled to seek asylum in the UK to come through safe and legal routes, those who aren't allowed All right, final question, will still Esther, sail. Does Rishi moving more to the centre right and abandoning people like Swella Braverman on the more extremity of the right? Is that going to be better for him at the at the election? No, because no. what matters is him actually acting instead of, you know, moving whichever way he wants. At the end of the day, in, in, well, he has in, acted. In as much, not not really though, because he hasn't stopped the. Well, he in, as much, in as much as I agree with a lot of Suella Braverman, what she said, I think she's a very unskilled, untalented politician. I think she's very callous. I think every time she, she opened her, it was, her it was regrettable. gob. Exactly. She said something that made my <laughs> skin crawl. But the thing is, she's an They're amateur. Homeless. She's an amateur. Well, they, the thing is, they brought it on themselves. She, these she people. Was, it's a lifestyle was, choice. She was way out of her depth, and the government is better. Without her, you know what she's now, it's why I have no sympathy because deliver. she may be jobless, but that's a lifestyle <laughs> choice. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's get her a tent, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All chip in.
Wouldn't that be ironic? Thank, uh, thank you to my thank bank. Uh, good to see you all. And says the next is Israeli Defence Forces continue their raid at the Al Shifa Hospital in Gaza. I'll be joined by a senior advisor to Prime Minister Netanyahu, Mark Regev. to Piers Morgan. I said some interview with Jeremy Corbyn, in which I repeatedly asked him 15 times or more, actually, if he believed Hamas is a terror group, made it to Prime Minister's questions today. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak even uh, said this while criticising Sakir Starmer. But he talks about apologising. He talks about the former member not being a Labour MP now. Yes, he wasn't a Labour MP when he declined 15 different times to say that Hamas was a terrorist organisation this week, which is shameful. But he was a Labour MP. Indeed, the honourable gentleman served with him. He told the country he would make a great Prime Minister. At that point, he described Hamas of friends. Does he want to apologise for that now? Not a, not a bad question. Uh, well, let's just have a little replay of Jeremy Corbyn's inability to answer two simple questions. Are they a terror group? Look, um, Piers, can, can you we, say it? Piers, can we have a discussion? Can you say it? Can we have a discussion? Can you call them a terror Piers, group? Can we have a discussion? Can you call them a terror Piers, group? Is it possible to have a rational discussion? Are you with prepared you? to call is Hamas a have, terror group? Is it possible to have a rational you discussion? Can't, can you can't, can you? Is it possible? Come on, answer that you question. You can't, can you? You answer it. No, it's my okay. show. You answer my question. Well, I'm going to be joined uh, in a moment by the socialist commentator Owen Jones, making his eagerly awaited debut on Piers Morgan Uncensored. Uh, but first, we're going to go to Mark Regev, who's the uh, senior advisor to Israel's Prime Minister. Benjamin Netanyahu, and a former ambassador to the United Kingdom. Mr Regev, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Um, just, I want to ask you specifically about the Al-Shifa hospital and what is actually happening there, because uh, the IDF have said they've gone in and they have proven that this was being used as a command centre by Hamas. Hamas say, no, they haven't. That's, this is actually what's been going on there is a war crime, a deliberate attack on a hospital. I've got to say that the so far... The evidence that the IDF has published in terms of videos and pictures and so on, I don't think it's overly compelling. It doesn't look like to me like a command centre. It looks to me like a hospital which has got uniforms and some military hardware and some firearms and so on. But it doesn't look to me like the central hub for Hamas in Gaza. So patients... Uh... We'll, we'll be providing uh, more information as we, it becomes available. Not all the information we have at the moment we can make public, and I can understand why you'd want to see it, but uh, let's be clear. It's not just the government of Israel that says Hamas has a command and control and its military network underneath the hospital. The US government said it two days ago, the Pentagon and the White House. And the truth is uh, that the uh, people who live there in the region, in uh, the city of Gaza, the Palestinians themselves there, it's the worst kept secret uh, that Hamas has. Everybody knows that Hamas has a military structure under the hospital. I mean, the reason it's so important is, as you know, uh, Article 19 of the Geneva Convention, which is what governs the way warfare is conducted, says the protection to which civilian hospitals are entitled shall not cease unless they are used to commit outside the humanitarian duties acts harmful to the enemy. Protection may, however, cease only after due warnings being given, naming in all appropriate cases a reasonable time limit, and after such warning has remained unheeded. So is your position 
uh, that Israel has meticulously stuck by the letter of that article of the Geneva Convention in relation to the Al-Shifa hospital? 100%. 100%. We've given adequate warning. We've urged civilians to leave the area. Uh, we've done so, I think, uh, three and a half weeks ago, we started asking civilians to leave. And the truth is, Spears, the overwhelming majority of, uh, of civilians have left. Some one million people have left that area of northern Gaza, have heeded our advice, moved south out of harm's way because we didn't want to see them caught up in the crossfire between the Israeli Defense Forces and uh, the terrorists of Hamas. What do you say to somebody like me who has spent six weeks now debating this, who believes October the 7th was one of the worst terror attacks of modern times, that Israel absolutely has not only a right to defend itself, but a fundamental duty to its people to protect them, particularly given the Hamas spokesman last week said, we're going to try and do this again and again and again. That is an existential threat to Israel. I get that. I believe Hamas has to be removed. It cannot be removed peacefully. It has to be re removed uh, militarily, in my estimation. But the question then becomes, how much of the civilian casualties that we're seeing becomes too much? Not just for Israel and any moral line that you may have here, but for the wider international community, which is already, as we're seeing in England today, there's been a big, uh, a big vote in Parliament, many people resigning from the Labour uh, shadow bench because of what's going on and wanting a ceasefire. What do you say to people like me that believe that you are right in principle, but that the execution of what is happening in Gaza is getting so bad that it borders on unjustified? So the first thing I would argue is it's crucial that we get rid of Hamas. We saw the sort of violence Hamas is capable of inflicting upon innocent civilians. You yourself just said that October 7th was horrific and brutal. And it's clear that we cannot tolerate the continued existence of this terror enclave on our southern frontier. Israeli parents should not have to live in fear of terrorists crossing the border in the middle of the night and, 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 and murdering their children. So getting rid of the Hamas is the aim. Now, if it was possible to send a letter to the Secretary General of the United Nations and say, please demilitarize Gaza and get rid of Hamas, I'd like to do it that way, to be easier for everyone. But that's just not a realistic option. We have to send our troops in and we have to dismantle through a military conflict the Hamas's military machine. There's no alternative. If you have another alternative, I'm happy to hear it. Now, we've made maximum efforts to reduce the numbers of civilian uh, uh, casualties. Uh, we really have tried. It's very difficult because Hamas has embedded itself, as we see with the hospital, inside civilian structures. It uses Gaza's civilians as a human shield. Nonetheless, we've, because of our warnings, some one million northern Gazans have fled the northern Gaza Strip, moved to the south, which is safer than the north. And we are still making a maximum effort today to distinguish between those civilians who've remained, who are not our target, and the Hamas terrorists. But Piers, you, you've been around. You know that there hasn't been a war in modern history where civilians haven't been caught up in crossfire. No, no, that, in, is, in, that is true. Here's what I would say to that. Here's what I would say. I heard Jeremy Bowen, the BBC's Middle East editor today, saying he hasn't seen devastation of the kind uh, that's happened in Gaza, which he's now witnessed, uh, since uh, Aleppo, after the Russians had been in. And... That was apocalyptic. And I guess my question for you is, yeah, you, you, you've persuaded a million Gazans to head south. What are they coming back to? Everything that they had is being disintegrated. Uh, it's just being vaporised. There's nothing left for these people to come back to, is there? 
I agree, and it's clear that when this is over, Gaza will have to become demilitarized, de-radicalized, and rebuilt. And ultimately, though I know it's very difficult for the civilian population of Gaza who are going through what is a traumatic experience, they're going through a war. It's not easy, I understand that. But ultimately, when this is over, it will be better for them too. What has 16 years of Hamas rule brought the people of Gaza? Bloodshed, uh, uh, suffering, uh, impoverishment. Hamas has nothing to show for its time in government except for those bad things. The people of Gaza also deserve better than the current dictatorial terrorist regime that has ruled them. I mean, a final question I would have for you is simply this, is that Gaza has an extremely high percentage of population are children. These scenes of thousands of kids and babies being killed on an hourly basis are obviously horrific. How do you know that what you're doing with this uh, war is not just uh, instinctively, to me, creating, as many people fear, Elon Musk touched on this and others, uh, just radicalising a whole new generation of people who've seen their young brothers, sisters and so on uh, killed in this offensive? Do you not worry that you're just creating a whole new problem down the line of a newly radicalised Gaza? Could I offer, with your permission, a, a, a counter-argument? And that is exactly the opposite will happen, that the people of Gaza will see that the path of violence and terrorism and brutality that is Hamas will be totally discredited. It'll be discredited. They'll understand that the path of extremism hurts them more than it hurts us, that it's a dead end, and that that will uh, create space once we've defeated Hamas and its whole ideology has been discredited that'll create space for more moderate and pragmatic voices to fill the void. And that's good for the future. Mark Regev, I hope you're right. Thank you uh, for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, on Saturday next tonight, socialist commentator and outspoken man of the left, Owen Jones, joins me live in the studio for his uncensored debut. He's been listening intently to that last interview. I'm sure he'll have some strong views. We'll find out after the break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Well, 
joining me now is the socialist commentator Owen Giants. Owen, you've been sitting there patiently. Your response to Mark Regeva? A, a grotesque inversion of reality. I mean, the thing about Israeli spokesperson like that is if I was told the sky was blue, I'd go out the window and check just to be sure. What did he they... say that's wrong? Um, it, for one thing, talking about um, the hospital being mm. used as a terror base. Now, let's just bear in mind that Israel's spokespeople have a long track record of lying through their back teeth. When they shot in the head, for example, uh, Shireen Abu Akli, mm. they said for months and months and months it was Palestinian gunmen. It wasn't. They shot her in the head. James Miller, a brilliant British documentary work, uh, filmmaker, shot dead 2002 by the Israelis. Years later, of course, after you wouldn't, they denied but you it... wouldn't believe Hamas and their version of events either, would you? Well, I, that's why I depend on what aid agencies mm. and the United Nations are saying on the ground, which is mm. that collective punishment is being unleashed against the Palestinian people. I mean, look, we can see already the evidence they've been um, unveiling for what they said was a, a terror hub, including showing CDs and a computer. What they've done to that hospital is firstly, because they cut off energy in a total siege, which mm. they justified by saying they were fighting human animals, which should be considered genocidal rhetoric has been condemned as well, such. Well, it as... should certainly be condemned, and they should not have the ability, uh, Israel, to cut off yep. water Thank and you. power with, and fuel. It's they a, shouldn't. But it's the fuel, again, it's the fuel, the, that is collective the, punishment. Well, just fuel, agree, just yeah, agree, can we agree? A, under Article 33, mm. that's against the law. It's a war crime. Can I, we agree? I, I think would, we should have some consensus. I would, I, would, I would argue you're heading towards collective punishment when you do that. You're not be, heading towards collective punishment well, when you cut off energy and water to the entire civilian population. Except to play devil's advocate and to give their side of it, which I've heard repeatedly, take the issue of fuel. They want to try and get fuel in, the Israelis, as they've said, to the hospitals, to the humanitarian side of this, but they know that Hamas are taking that fuel and using it for their military. The, the hospital authorities, who we should listen to, have mm. rebutted those accusations. Look, what we've, what's happened here mm. is babies right now mm. are gasping for breath yes. and suffocating. Mm. We've had several nurses and patients shot dead. In fact, this whole hospital has been described by medical staff as a mortuary. But you don't know. Just quickly, oh, 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 when a hospital, on. just quickly, when yeah. a hospital becomes a mass grave, yeah. when dozens of decomposing bodies mm. have to be buried in a mass grave in a hospital, we're talking. What you said? Can I just quote something you said about sure. about Putin? And, and I think this was very wise. You said. In March 2022, I'm seeing a genocidal monster killing women and babies in maternity hospitals as we sit back and let them do it. Why was it so disgraceful? But you were right. Mm. You were right to well, be Well, here's the difference. Why, why, me, why when you see this hospital, is there not the same fury? Let me explain. Uh, because the two are, in my opinion, morally very different. In one case, Vladimir Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine, he was committing war crimes having illegally invaded... The so oh, wait a second, let me finish. Having invaded a sovereign democratic country. Here, it was Israel that was invaded by a vast number of terrorists who uh, murdered over 1,500 innocent men, women, children. They kidnapped 240 people, including babies, children, yeah, Holocaust survivors. So my point is, morally, there is a massive difference. Hold on, hold on. Uh, morally, yeah. it's a massive difference. Now, the question of the hospital... Wait a sec. The question of the hospitals is this to me. They have so far produced some evidence of 
Hamas operating inside the hospital. For me, so far, as a journalist trying to be fair and impartial, I don't think, as you've heard me say to Mark Reggett, I don't think I've seen enough evidence here which says to me this was a sprawling command centre. But there is a moral difference between what Putin's doing in Ukraine and what Israel's doing to defend itself against Hamas, isn't there? Hold on. Isn't there? No, no, sorry, this is the difference, Okay, if you you want to talk about that or, or, or trying to separate them. For a Ukrainian ordinary civilian, Mm. being killed mm-hmm. or put an ordinary Palestinian child being killed both equally awful. none of them none of them did anything wrong no. we agree on that don't yes, we? we do we absolutely agree yes, on we that we do now when we talk when you repeatedly denounced putin for his genocidal behaviour in Ukraine. Yeah. Do you stand by that? Do you yes, think that's a genocide? Absolutely. Well, it doesn't matter what the, what the basis mm. for what the operation... Of course it does. No, 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 no. No, in no, no it of, does. No, 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 Pierce, in terms of what actually is happening, we mm. can talk what, about the massacre... The obscene massacre of a thousand. What Israel's Israel. doing no, is no, no, not no, genocide. Pierce, Pierce, Pierce. You can't keep saying no, let's, no, no, okay, no. Let's like, talk about genocide. Let's talk about genocide. Yeah. Why is it? Let what? me tell you the difference between genocide. Let, let, me, let me put something to you, and you come back at me and tell me if I'm okay. wrong. Hamas, from its charter onwards, and from the spokesman said last week, is dedicated to the eradication of Israel and killing as many Jews as it can possibly kill. That is the purest definition of genocide intent that you will ever see. And they executed it on October the 7th as best they could. Now, what Israel's doing in response, and they've been very firm about this, and the international courts will rule as they... These these are very long questions. They're not. I'm I'm answering a point and I'm putting one to you, right? In my estimation, they are qualitatively different. What Hamas is... is Can I answer? Publicly, what they're doing is genocide. What Israel's doing is not genocide. There's a difference between... Well, Israel, you could say both Israel and Hamas have engaged in genocidal and murderous rhetoric. No. And I'll give you an example. No, yes, no, they are. No, you can't. Benjamin Netanyahu. No, you, one I is can't. Not... Is it uncensored or not? Yes. Let me okay, quote, you can say let it. Me quote, let me quote what the, the Israeli authorities have said. Benjamin Netanyahu, when he quoted Amalek, mm. the scriptures, what does Amalek say? Mm. It, he, he quotes Amalek when they attacked the Israelites. And what God told the Israelites to do was to destroy every kill, every man, woman, child, and livestock. If I would put it to you, an Islamist leader was quoting a similarly genocidal passage from the Quran, you would not, I would say, I respond? hesitate. I respond? Well, what, no, no, what, what? we haven't just no, but you had we'll a lot. Respond to that I'm point. gonna respond just quickly. Israeli officials said mm. that Gaza will end up being a city of tents with no building standing. Mm. That they are that they are attacking for damage not for accuracy. The agricultural minister, Avidicti, he said, we are rolling out a new Nakba. A Nakba is the Mm. mass expulsion, 700,000 Palestinians in 1948. Mm. This is why hundreds of genocide scholars, people who are actually, unlike you and I, Mm. experts in the field of genocide Mm. studies, fear okay. that a genocide is taking place. The difference between Israel Let and Hamas now. is Hamas does not have the capacity to wipe out no. Israel. Israel is wiping Gaza the off the map. But that's that, the point. But that, no, you've actually exposed the weakness in your argument. Israel does have the ability to kill everyone in Gaza tomorrow, and they're not doing it. Oh. In fact, well, hang on. What they're doing, and it's indisputable, they are issuing a number of warnings repeatedly to people to go no. south. Wait! and stay out of northern Gaza, right? And then they're pulverising it with airstrikes, and now they've gone in on the ground, and they're waging battle with Hamas fighters, terrorists, right? No, hang on, hang on. So my point is this. Israel could, if they wanted to, kill everyone in Gaza. They decided not to do so that. Is your definition... So not, to be genocide very, is where you want to kill everyone. Sorry, sorry. 
Your definition of genocide, because in Ukraine, Vladimir Putin hasn't killed every last Ukrainian. Oh, That's simply not happened. Vladimir... No, 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 he hasn't. And, and nor has he stated no. his intention to do so. And nor as brutal and barbaric. Actually, actually sorry, to be, to be Vladimir cl- Putin, to be cl- absolutely, no, by illegally no, invading a sovereign country and, and, and no, no, indiscriminately no, no, bombing yeah. anything in front of him, indiscriminately bombing, is ah, waging I'm a sorry. form of genocide. Wow. Indiscriminate bombing, mm. Gaza, more than two Hiroshima bombs worth have been dropped on mm. East London in the space of five okay, weeks. Okay, let me ask you two questions. No, 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 no. no, no. You said Ukraine. No, I'm going to have to put this to you. Okay. 15,000 people have mm. now been killed mm. now by the Israelis' mm. estimate in Gaza. One in every 200 people in Gaza have now been killed. Mm. If you were to adjust for population in Ukraine, mm. that would be 300,000 Ukrainian civilians. Mm. 300,000, there's been a terrible death toll. It's estimated by the UN, 10,000 civilians have been killed mm. since February last year. Mm. In the space of five weeks, mm. a country with a much, much smaller population has had a much higher debt, has had a death toll mm. higher officially than that, that in okay. Ukraine. So how, can it, how can it be... I'm going to answer. How can it be that you call that genocide, yep. but when you have nearly half the entire civilian death toll of the Bosnian war mm. in a country which is twice the size in terms of population. Why isn't that genocide fixed? Well, I've just answered your question by saying if Israel wanted to commit genocide, they would simply... Vapor- so would Russia. They would vaporise... So would Russia. They would nuke, they would nuke Russia, Ukraine. Russia wants to take over Ukraine. Yes, and, and, so, and will, they want and to take over kill, Gaza. And it will kill any number of Ukrainians, men, women and children, but in that process. The death rate... But it's able to. The, only the reason, death rate in Gaza only, is much, hang much on, higher. The only reason it hasn't is right. that actually Ukraine has a large military supported no. by countries like the United States R- and is putting up Russia one hell of a nuclear, fight. Russia has nuclear weapons. Okay. And, Russia, and Russia, by the way, Ukraine gave theirs R- up. Russia, have had Russia has an armed... Fo- what? Let me ask you... What? No, no, you've got to accept this. Hang on. No, no. A, far lower, a far lower death rate in Ukraine. I've explained why. As I've explained is. why. You haven't explained yes, why. Yes, I have. Well, let me explain Israel again. have made it clear... You didn't hear me. Israel have made it clear that explain, they intend to occupy Gaza permanently. Yeah, they sh- and which they should not right. be allowed to do. And what did We're going to agree on that. What did the Israeli ministry leaked intelligence... What did the intelligence ministry leak? my interview of you. I know, but... Not your interview of me. Well, I think let you me did answer, he held Let me answer this. you. Let me answer you. Well, let me ask you two questions, okay. which I asked Jeremy Corbyn. Sure. Let's get these off the table. Do you believe Hamas is a terror group? Yes, if you engage in violence against civilian population, okay. that's terrorism. Okay. I, wait, no, definitely... wait don't, don't do supplementaries. But... Let me just ask you this. Second question, which I asked him and she couldn't answer. Should Hamas remain in power? If I could wave a magic wand, then no, obviously, there'd be an okay. independent... No, let me finish. Okay. There'd be an independent Palestine, okay. free of Israeli rule, with a secular democratic movement in power. The difference I, is... I agree with you. When you courageously stood against the Iraq war... Yeah. ...and you, you were courageous for yeah. doing so... So what was the argument put against you? That you wanted to keep Saddam Hussein in power even though he gassed his own people, mm. the Kurds, and committed genocide, many would argue, mm. that he had invaded his neighbour and that he had uh, massacred the Shia when they rose up mm. in 1991. Now, your argument against that was that what could happen next would be far, far worse. And you were Actually, right. that wasn't my but, argument. Well, that is... But that is the no, argument. No, no, so no. did you want to keep Saddam Hussein in power? Don't tell me what my argument was. Did I know you, what it was. I was want, editor of the paper that waged the campaign. Did you want Saddam Hussein, Hussein to was, remain in power? I did not believe that they had produced any evidence that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. I thought he had nothing to do with 9-11. Therefore, we were waging a completely irrelevant war, which I thought would stir up absolute hell in the Middle East. And you know what? I was right. Yeah. And actually, most of the architects of that war now concede 
they were wrong. Yeah, they were... It was a horror story from start to finish. But what it did do is spark the rise of ISIS. And what the world did with ISIS was say, this crosses a moral line, we have to get rid of them. And we went after ISIS in places like Iraq and Syria and other countries, and in bombing the hell out of ISIS, a lot of civilians you got killed. You just skipped a lot of very important well, history. Wait, there. wait a minute. No, no, that's not what happened. No, well, that is what happened. No, that's no. not what happened. One of the consequences right. of the Iraq war was that ISIS became no. a very powerful, for a short period of time, global terror force committing atrocity... Please, atrocity. Can I just correct your but version in, of history? But, but in wiping out ISIS right. pretty effectively, we also killed a lot of civilians. No, what actually happened... What's the moral difference between that no, no, and what Israel's no, doing in you Gaza? Just, you just revised history. I what, we were told that al-Qaeda mm. was perhaps in league with Saddam Hussein. That was one of the justifications of invading. What actually happened after the invasion was that it became a playground for Al-Qaeda, who you've missed out of notice. No, no, no. No, no, no. About, and, and what happened... talking about... We know about Al-Qaeda. I'm talking happened, about ISIS. What happened, for example, is Fallujah, the city of Fallujah mm. in Iraq, These the Americans went in and they massacred people protesting against mm -hmm. their rule, and many of those Sunni populations ended up in driven into the arms of Al-Qaeda. Mm. A brutal counterinsurgency programme then resulted mm -hmm. in resulting in mass slaughter of innocent Sunni civilians, and from that fury and anger, <laughs> something even worse than Al-Qaeda emerged. Yeah. Just as... ISIS. Yes. So you agree and with that me? was... No, I'm saying Good. that's exactly no, what we're tell, seeing today. I didn't give every detail of the journey. No, no, no. I just no, no, said, uh, out you, of the you've Iraq misunderstood. War... You've misunderstood. You've misunderstood. They engaged in a brutal counterinsurgency... No, I know the story. ...offensive against Al-Qaeda, yeah. and that caused something worse to emerge. Just as in Afghanistan... I know. To, just in Afghanistan, we had two decades of occupation. Let me listen. We're running out of time. Two decades of occupation, me, and listen. the Taliban emerged stronger than listen. ever. The same applies to both what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan. It seems to me because if you brutalise right, a right, population, talking, Owen. you will turn them into terrorists. Stop talking or extremists. Listen, drive them to their arms. Go you on. make a lot of good points. I agree with a lot of things you say. Right? Always have done. Actually, I find the way you say them, as you do with me, quite annoying. But that's fine. You're allowed to, and we're uncensored. Come back. I, I want to end, if I can with some kind of... Look, we've agreed Hamas is a terror group. We've agreed uh, they have to go. How do we actually get peace here? Well, firstly, we have to deal with the underlying causes of what's driven the Palestinian people, mm. in the case of Gaza, in Gaza, into the hands of Hamas, mm. which is, starting in 1948, the ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian population in the Nakba with 700,000 driven from their homes, murderously, I might add. Then... And hundreds of thousands of Jews were driven from their homes yeah, before not that. not in Palestine. Well, they were driven yeah, away no, from Arab on, countries. Hold on, hold They were driven away from Arab countries. Yeah, from Palestine. Jonathan Friedman wrote a very mass, good piece about this, mass, saying, you know what, if you go into the history, the, the ethnic, there's just cause on both the sides. Palestine, the Palestinians were driven from their homes, 700,000 of them. And then we had the illegal settlements and colonisation, including mm. in the West Bank, where completely unremarked upon... And I've already moment, condemned there was the mass terror, expanding right, settlements illegal, illegal, illegal settlements, and as well as, as Amnesty International, mm. as Human Rights Watch and Betzalem describe it, the Israeli Human Rights Organisation, a system of apartheid. But... If you keep brutalising the Palestinian people, ridding them I of agree, their freedom... I agree. ...and you end up now in Gaza with, with parents picking up the... The burned, dismembered remnants of their children. There will never be peace. I agree. What I would say to that is that the on the Arab side, they have had multiple opportunities to do a peace deal, not least in 2000 with Arafat, and he walked away. No, what happened there? Go on. What, what was? Well, the, what were the concessions? Well, because, no. The, the this truth is, is in the truth is, Bill Clinton, who no. helped for wait a minute, who helped forge peace in Northern Ireland brilliantly with Tony Blair and with the others involved there that actually Arafat, they had peace in their grasp, and as Bill Clinton said to him, 
I'm going to end up being a failure because of you no, and looking at that's way. Yeah, well, and that revision of history, again, not just from you on this programme, right. but by Bill Clinton, because they demanded, for example, nine land swaps for a ratio... You know what? We've run out of time. In favour of Owen, Israel. Come back again. I'd love to. No, seriously, this, this conflict's not going away. No, sadly It's not. going to continue raging the war. I think you're an important voice in this. We should keep talking about it. OK, we'll chat. Good to see you. See you. And since the next tonight, conservative activist Charlie Kirk joins me live for his take on what we've just been discussing and on the state of universities. How have they got so nuts? I'll ask Charlie after the break. Back to Uncensored. Now, tomorrow, another remarkable debate between two influential characters with vehemently opposing viewpoints, Rabbi Shmuley and Muhammad Hijab. Well, here's a preview discussing a two-state solution. If, if, if two-state solution is a Hamas state wanting to eviscerate Israel... Well, he doesn't God. believe in it. But he doesn't he believe doesn't in believe a two-state solution. He believes in a final solution. No, That's no, what no. really scares okay, me. Okay. You don't believe in a two-state solution. I'm you believe in a final solution. The way you speak about Jews, you believe in a final solution, and it scares you. I think it's fair to say it's probably the most ferocious debate we've ever had on Piers Morgan Uncensored, and that will be the show tomorrow night for the hour. It's the kind of debate we need to be having, but you have to see how close we get to any kind of peace or agreement. Well, for now, Conservative commentator Charlie Kirk says universities have become islands of totalitarianism in his new book. It's called Bacolli's Scam, How America's Universities Are Bankrupting and Brainwashing Away the Future of America's Youth. And Charlie Kirk joins me now. Charlie, good to see you. Um, this Israel-Palestine uh, war and the debate that's raging around it, such passionate views on both sides. Have we lost the ability to have civilised debate? Probably. I mean, on these campuses, it doesn't give you a lot of hope. I'll tell you, I was just at UCLA last week, and, you know, many of the Palestinian forces are, they have signs that say, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which is basically coded language for the abolition of the, the state of Israel. But look, part of what I, why I wrote the book, The College Scam, is that we are seeing the erosion of Western values of free speech and dialogue and hearing the other side. You know, I have visited over 150 campuses in the last five years. I'm not afraid of different ideas and to invite that kind of dialogue and discourse. I think this Israel-Palestine issue is just the latest example in, in a variety of different ideas and topics where we see the most radical and fringe ideologies come out of these university campuses. I mean, at Harvard University, which is considered to be the best school in America, 31 student organizations, mm. right after the terrible massacre against the Jewish people on Yom Kippur, came out in favor of the Hamas activity. In fact, some professors even said it was justified, and another Ivy League professor said that it was a wonderful day and celebrated it. So mm. some of the most vile and disgusting ideas that we've seen come to the surface in the last month uh, have a point of origination on college campuses, which is why I wrote the book, The College Scam. And, and what's so extraordinary about that is the very same people who've been behaving in this way, uh, effectively supporting a terror group, uh, have gone out of their way to deplatform and shame and cancel anyone who, on, mainly on the right, it has to be, so on the conservative side, who've deviated from their worldview. So free speech to them seems a very complex issue. No, that's right. And look, I mean, you, we have to be disciplined in how we advocate for, di you know, dialogue and free speech. And when I go to these college campuses, it's come very clear, and you see this now manifesting in some of the larger censorship regime that is taking over the West, that if a young student finds disagreement 
with a conservative or somebody on the right, they don't just find the ideas objectionable. Some, in fact, a majority by a recent Pew poll, want to use force to try to silence and stifle and even censor those differing ideas. Yeah, which is I mean, the complete antithesis of what going to university should be about. I mean, Harvard, that you referenced earlier, just came bottom on a, uh, a study of free speech at American universities. Bottom. Almost registered zero, I think, or below zero. Uh, in other words, it's the complete mm -hmm. opposite of a home of free speech, and yet you would hope and expect that someone like Harvard would be a place for all opinions uh, to be discussed and debated and challenged. But it appears to be the complete opposite, unless you're out there supporting Hamas. Yes, that's right. Well, it's been kind of ironic, Pierce, which for the last decade I've been arguing for free speech, arguing that conservatives should have a voice on campus, and it's met with at best groans or opposition. And now Students for Justice of Palestine and the pro-Hamas groups are the ones saying that we want to have full free speech, we want to have rights to speak publicly, we want to have our guests on campus, which again, I'm a free speech guy, so have at it. But the administration has been very quick to pander to every possible demand of the most radical groups possible on campus when we conservatives have been asking for kind of equal and fair treatment over the last 10 years. And it's worse than even the free speech debate, Pierce. It's that these, these Jew hatred ideas find a philosophical and intellectual foundation at so many of these institutions. I also think if you look at things like TikTok, for example, which obviously originates from China, which may have all sorts of vested interests, um, and, and kids, I think, under 21, it's their main news source. And if you ask uh, young people of their view of, the, of the, this war, for example, they skew massively pro-Palestinian because they've been bombarded mm -hmm. all day long with very short, often woefully ill-informed takes on the war on TikTok. And that's their only reference point. No, that, that's exactly right. And I would say that your dialogue recently with Douglas Murray was one of the most powerful that I've mm. heard recently. And if every young person could hear you know, the conversation you had with Douglas Murray, I think they would have a different opinion. But they look at almost everything through oppressor-oppressed dynamics, and that is the kind of framing that is unfortunately pushed forward at many of these universities. Yeah, in a way, what we've tried to do on this show since the war started is give a platform to to both sides, if at all sides. There are people with other views too, not just Douglas, but also people on the pro-Palestinian side and stuff. And it's important to have that. But I've, I've got an interview tomorrow night. was a debate, really, between two people, Rabbi Shmuley and Mohammed Hijab, and it just descended into one of the most ridiculous kind of punch-ups I've ever been involved with. And that's the sadness of this, because you don't get anywhere, really, when you're just trying to kill each other, metaphorically or verbally. I don't think you can hear me there, Charlie, but... All right. I, I, we, we, don't worry, we've I'm run out of time. i a lot of voices and in my ear, but... We've run out of time, and the, the good news is you and I have just had a very civilised conversation, and I hope we can have it again. Charlie Kurt, thank you very much indeed for joining me. I appreciate it. That's it for us tonight. Whatever you're up to, keep it uncensored. Good night. <laughs>